Welcome to Curious Psalms, a podcast where we practice reading and praying this wonderful prayer book of God's people. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me for a conversation about Psalm 21 today is Kyle Trivitz. Kyle is an English teacher at Jesuit High School and holds degrees in English literature and secondary teaching. For our sporty listeners out there, you may also like to know that Kyle played baseball in college, is now helping coach baseball, and is a lover of golf. When I hear Kyle reflect on scripture, I appreciate, and I think you will too, the careful and attentive reading he gives it. So I'm excited to get to dive into some ancient Hebrew poetry in English with him. So without further ado, here's Kyle reading Psalm 21. For the director of music, a Psalm of David. The king rejoices in your strength, Lord. How great is his joy in the victories you give. You have granted him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. You came to greet him with rich blessings and placed a crown of pure gold on his head. He asked you for life and you gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. Through the victories you gave, his glory is great. You have bestowed on him splendor and majesty. Surely you have granted him unending blessings and made him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord. Through the unfailing love of the Most High, he will not be shaken. Your hand will lay hold on all your enemies. Your right hand will seize your foes. When you appear for battle, you will burn them up as in a blazing furnace. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and his fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth, their posterity from mankind. Though they plot evil against you and devise wicked schemes, they cannot succeed. You will make them turn their backs when you aim at them with drawn bow. Be exalted in your strength, Lord. We will sing and praise your might. Kyle, welcome to Curious Psalms. I didn't ask you before this, have you been on a podcast before? I have not. This is the first time. And it is funny, the timing of your email. I had just said to Maddie, you know what? I think you should put into Matt's ear. I would, I would enjoy the podcast. And the next day I get an email. Hey, are you interested? But she claims that that was already planned, that you had that written. Yes. Up. So that. It is true. She, she, did, she did mention that you would be interested, to mm-hmm. which I said, Maddie, come look at this, because your name was already on my list. I really am uh, super happy to have you on and to get to talk to, with you about Psalm 21. You know the three questions. The listener knows the three questions. So why don't we just dive in? And start with this one. What stood out to you in reading this psalm? Hmm. So the first couple times through, the the thing that stood out as odd was the fact that it's not a king. It's not a named king, but it's the king. Almost as if it, it kind of felt like a Mad Lib 
where instead of underneath the 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 blank where it would say noun or verb, it just says put in a king here. Which so it's it, it it's not it didn't seem like it was describing a particular king, but it was prescribing what a king should be like. And so that that's what I noticed first that there's almost this character of the king as if it's from almost like a fable or an old old epic, right? Uh, that the people tell. Yeah going you know on and on generation and generation and that's why i noticed first i thought it was odd i think my first reading through i thought oh this is david obviously on one one of his high points of his kingship <laughs> but i think as i read on that didn't seem to be the case it was almost as if the king he was hoping to be or had glimpses of being but that was that was the first thing that struck me as odd was that the, it's not a named king it's just mm. the king as if it's a character yeah, it, it's kind of fascinating. This psalm, for me, in reading it, it was one of the trickier ones to kind of work out who is saying what and who the yous, especially in the second half, maybe. Who, who, are, who are these yous that we're talking about? Who's the yous and the yours? And how does the Lord factor in? And how does the king... Who are these people? Right. I had quite a bit of that kind of going back and forth because the psalm just kind of moves pretty seamlessly between these characters. Hmm. But I was, I was struck by the same thing, the fact that, you know, so many Psalms of David are personal and sort of you get a first person uh, pronouncement or declaration. Yeah. And here it's, it's consistently third person, which does just raise the question, if this is a Psalm that continues to be used in the life of Israel, what would they have thought when like the king was not faithful mm. or this did not describe the king, you know? It's funny you say that. Because the more I read this psalm, the more I was reminded of not just kings in the Old Testament, but kings in any history. And and this is an interesting conversation for you and I. To, well, you're from you're not you're from New Zealand. I'm from Australia. Oh, gosh, it's the same thing to an American. But you're from <laughs> Australia. But so you, you, maybe maybe you understand this in a way that I don't. But. To Americans, the language of kings doesn't have weight or the same effect as it might for someone who, who lives in a monarchy or who is familiar, right? The histories are saturated with king language. But yeah, sure. when we talk about literature, and we especially British literature, the literature is shaped so much by the history of the country in a way that American literature necessarily isn't. And hmm. it's so focused on this is the king, right? Shakespeare stand, stood out when I was reading this psalm. You know, this is yeah. the king that's going to be the one that solves the civil war, the one that deals with the French or, or finally brings peace and unity. And time and time again, that was never the case. And hmm. so I started to read it. And that's why I said, I think it's, it's not a description, but a prescription of the yeah. hope that comes with, well, maybe this is the guy. And so I, I just was struck by the hope that comes with a king. But again and again, and I'm sure you could go through a lot of histories of nations that have kings throughout, but Israel, especially this hope and desire that deliverance will come but it doesn't. 
And that seems, that's yeah. the narrative in the Old Testament. I mean, David stands out, a man after God's own heart. And he finds a lot of ways to really screw it up. And so that's why it switched for me. I didn't, I, I lost the, the reading of, oh, this is David to, no, this is what maybe David in his heart wants to be like or what the people of Israel yeah. are hoping for. So it's funny that you, you said that as well, that it was like, Israelites are probably side-eyeing this psalm like, oh, have you seen the guy we have right now? It's not really the case. Right, <laughs> right yeah. I, I was reading one thing suggesting that this might have been a coronation psalm. So it's mm-hmm. kind of fascinating to think about uh, a cynical reading of this psalm, right? Of, as like, here's this king who we know is going to go sacrifice at the high places and we're going to sing the king trusts in the Lord. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But again, I think what you're saying really beautifully points to the way as Christians, we then read so many of the Psalms. <laughs> I love what you said earlier about, is this just David at one of his high points? Like, look at me. All mm-hmm. right. The king doing real well. Yeah. But I think part of the point sometimes is, yeah, it helps us also look forward to Jesus, the one who can actually fulfill sort of the highest, the highest points of <laughs> what David thinks he is and really is the ultimately the only one who can uh enter this psalm uh, with authenticity and have it consistently ring true but let's let's move on to our second question kyle what do we learn we've talked a lot about the king who's one character in the psalm but what do we learn about god from this psalm well it's 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 funny it's as if we traded notes before i was kind of worried that it was the evangelical ear ingrained in me of seeing oh this is about jesus but i kept circling back to that idea of you know if if kings fall short of this there is one who does not and and particularly the verses four through six and really verse six surely you have granted him unending blessings and made him glad with the joy of your presence and i think it it just really drew my attention to Christ's understanding of his his call right, and his role and seeing that as a blessing, right? God granting him those blessings and making him glad with the joy. This morning we were reading as part of our exam in that school, Christ's baptism in Matthew 3. And just that moment of anointing Right, which is in it yeah. of itself a very kingly image, and just the the joy in that passage and the joy of John just being there was came full circle with this song that hmm. it's the king who is finding joy in these things, and we aren't even you know we're just there to experience and witness and follow and kind of rolling off the shoulders experience that same joy. And I think yeah. that's, to go back, not to, to beat my first point to death, but that's the hope of the people. They don't just want a king to be successful because they, you know, they hope the best for him. You know, it's the kid down the street. This is a <laughs> right. shot. Yes. But they benefit from it. You know, the kingdom benefits from their king's success. And, and I think that was Christ is that true king. And I think that that was what really stood out to me was, you know, I focused more on, 
the king being Christ is understanding God. We're, we are kind of beating around the bush on the last second half of this song, which is a little interesting, but I, I, you alluded to it, but this sort of, it almost seems like revelation type language that comes up in the second half. Maybe I can take us to the second half of the psalm a little bit and maybe dip our toes <laughs> in together. Because I think you're right, there is really, I mean, apocalyptic is not necessarily the wrong word for what's happening in the second half of this psalm. It is, perhaps you could see it as concrete for one particular battle, but the language is pretty escalated. It's pretty mm. elevated language for whatever's going on there. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath and his fire will consume them. Well, that's very clearly imagery that gets picked up, you know, in the New Testament in terms of final judgment. But, you know, actually, as I was reading it, I wanted to zoom in on verse 11 which though they plot evil against you and devise wicked schemes, they cannot succeed. And I think as I reflected on what, what we learned about God from this psalm, that, that phrase, they cannot succeed, is a small one that's hugely significant. The, the fact that literally the forces, the forces of evil, the king's enemies, however you want to kind of construe it, cannot succeed because God is on his side. Just It completely reorients, really, our lives and our experience of the world. Psalm 21, I think, comes in and just says, there's, there's no competition, really. Those people, they plot evil against you. They even devise wicked schemes. Yeah, they cannot succeed. They have no shot because of God. And there's a sense in which we can beat our chest and sort of claim amazing victory in God. And then there's a sense in which I think we draw not overconfidence, but deep comfort from that reality that ultimately doesn't mean we don't experience trials, right? It's not that there are not people plotting evil, nor that there aren't wicked schemes involved, but we know that ultimately uh, they cannot succeed. And whether that's it may be less applicable you know to our own personal experience with our enemies because sometimes that's a symptom of our own brokenness <laughs> but certainly at a cosmic level and an ultimate level as we hold on to christ the king as you're talking about mm. we can have a great great confidence in where we go if i can sorry yeah. if i break the rules of the podcast the interviewee becomes the interviewer as i'm looking mm. at it the you in the second half does seem to to mess with this apocalyptic interpretation because I'm I'm not quite sure that he's addressing God. The psalmist is right. addressing God. I think he's referring to the king. Oh, I think you're right. Yeah, what I think is interesting or another layer to this is I think the most natural way to read it is probably a sort of another congregational kind of blessing similar to the beginning of Psalm 20, interestingly. But what I find really fascinating is the way that even with that natural reading, there is still a really close identity happening here between the king and the Lord. Verse 9 in particular is kind of fascinating. When you appear for battle, you will burn them up as right. in a blazing furnace. Then it proceeds to say the Lord will swallow them up in his wrath and his mm. fire will consume them. They're working in tandem uh, in that passage. There, there's, there's, a real, there's a real sense of unity mm. here. And in fact, in fact, I think it's right to say, even as the psalm concludes, be exalted in your strength, Lord. We will sing and praise your might. Mm. There's only a sense that verse 8 through 12, if this can be said about any individual, it is only insofar as they're reliant on the Lord's strength. Mm. Let's turn to our, our final question then, because, I mean, there's, there's a lot here and a lot of layers, but one of the curiosities is always how the Psalms help us to pray. So how does this Psalm help us to pray? Yeah, I think uh, question three is probably the hardest of the three in reflecting on 
this psalm, but really any psalm, just because prayer is not something that comes naturally to me. It's not, it's, you know, it's not a knee-jerk reaction. It's not where I go. And unfortunately, what I had in my notes for question three was this psalm in some ways makes that even worse because (laughs) (laughs) I read this language You've granted him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. I think any Christian worth their weight knows that that's something that's desired that has not been, you know, mm-hmm. often or in some cases has not been granted. And you read this language, he asked you for life and you gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. I read that and it, it's in some ways disheartening when I think about prayer, because those have been, especially early on in my faith, those were prayers that were again and again shared, but not necessarily always answered, or at least answered in the way that I expected them to be. Which again, I think is probably why I was drawn to to thinking this is like, well, this is the standard. This is what we're thinking thinking about, striving towards, but necessarily always in line with reality. I don't know if that's... Hmm. That doesn't answer the question, but that was just my meditation and reflection on this passage. Those ones stood out. I was like, oh, that sounds yeah, nice. Yeah, no. Right. No, I appreciate it. Well, first of all, thanks for being honest and not just ginning up a response to uh, the question, because I think what you're reflecting on is often hit us. Not all the Psalms, right? Sometimes Psalms of lament might resonate deeply with us, but there are these psalms where David has this surprising confidence or mm. uh, they're celebratory and to enter those psalms can feel very disorienting, uh, especially if our experience has been different, which it almost always has. <laughs> We've at least had times or seasons where they've been different. I wonder, you know, because it's interesting, I was drawn also to that line about you have granted him his heart's desire. And one of the conversations I was just having this week, in fact, with someone was they were just saying, I feel stuck in prayer because I will start praying for something, but then I will start wondering if it's just something I want. And so then should I not be asking God for it? Because is it not his will to give it to me in the first place? So then I don't want to be praying against God's will. So then my prayer just starts petering out, which you can, you know, you can totally follow the logic of it. And I think we've all kind of had that experience. And so I I think I read this line particularly in light of that conversation and was just thinking about the fact that it's so easy for us, I think, to assume either our desires are entirely broken or God has no desire to grant our desires. It's sort of like the, oh, don't, don't tell God that you don't want to be a missionary in Africa because then he'll definitely send you to Africa. It's like a symptom of that view of God as if, as if he only really wants things that are hard and not good for us. And so I do think there's something about this psalm and what it means for these words to be true about us. I don't think it means that we pray with an overconfidence, but I do wonder if uh, part of the invitation of this psalm, and I'm curious kind of to hear your reflections too, is rather than constantly feeling like we need to hedge our prayers to come with a willingness to kind of lay ourselves out there and say, well, God, this is my heart's desire. Mm. This is what I want. I'm going to ask you for this. And obviously we know that the granting isn't always consistent, but I think sometimes because we know that God won't answer every prayer that we might ask, we then stop bringing our desires to him. Mm. You know what I mean? I don't know. What what do you think? I wonder if the psalm pushes on that for me at least a little bit. Yeah. I 
And this is a a conversation I've been having with my my Catholic colleagues at school because we we practice the examine daily as part of our school life and I and I appreciated that it's it's a new practice for me but we were discussing what is the role and and one of the friends of mine at school as a priest was saying the examine functions as a chance for God to serve you which I found odd at first but he was explaining it's a it's a space for that you create to meditate and listen and determine what is it that what have I learned today? What what is it that I loved? Where did I see God working through me? And it's mm. it's a way to simply just pause and reflect and determine well, what are my heart's desires. And and though I used it to cite my frustration with this this psalm, verse four is an odd verse. It's very poetic in a psalm that's not overtly poetic. Right? He asked you for life and you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. And I think that's a really, it's a really beautiful depiction of what this king is asking for. There isn't vainglory. There isn't conceit. There isn't pride. Mm. It's what did he ask for when that was, well, he asked for life and it was given. And I think that mm. that's something that, as we're discussing it, I'm, I'm looking back at it, that stands out of the deep prayers that have been answered in my life are, are sort of guttural prayers of, you know, this isn't something that I kind of want, or this isn't something that would be nice. It's something that I almost that I need. Um, yeah. And I think that, that that line, that verse there, verse four, captures what the king asks for and is given in its life. And and there's a there's almost an eternal other I shouldn't say there almost is. There is an eternal yeah, right. hint to that, right? Length of days forever and ever, which is not the answer that is comforting on this side of heaven, but it is in a way the answer of like, mm. well, our our true heart's desires will be given to us, but maybe not yet. Yeah. And maybe some of them, right, at this point, but not all, right? Mm. Yeah, I, thanks for this conversation, Kyle. I love the way, I mean, I think this is exactly what the Psalms do, right? And why the Psalms have been the prayer book of God's people for so long is that when they're not our natural words of prayer, they force us to wrestle with why they're not. Mm. And when they are, they beautifully kind of bring us. And I think the spirit works in both conversations, right? Well, thank you so much for coming on and I, I really enjoyed this conversation i asked maddie in preparation for today i said i was just reading on the couch reading the psalm over and over and i said can you just remind me what are the questions that matt's going to ask and she said what stood out to you what did you learn about god what did you what does this teach us about prayer and what do you think about your wife so I, is that the fourth <laughs> final that's, question that's the fourth what yeah, do you that's like the bonus question. she said what do you like about your wife that was the fourth do question. you want to put that on the record right here Kyle, it's her, it's her humility, I think, for me. Uh, yeah. That's, what a beautiful <laughs> note to end on. Let's end on that note and this note from Psalm 21. Be exalted in your strength, Lord. We will sing and praise your might. Friends, go out and pray the Psalms. Mm-hmm.